0: So in this case, uh, what they've asked Apple to do is not to decrypt the contents of the phone, which has also been a very controversial point over the arc of what I like to call the crypto wars, Uh, but instead they've asked Apple to remove several critical security features on the phone. I think we all recognize that what's what's at stake here is
1: not this phone uh, or this particular set of contents, it's what's the precedent
2: that's going to be set. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and
3: welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court.
4: And this is Bob Ambrosi coming to you from near Boston,
3: Massachusetts. I write the blog called Law Sites. Well, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio, an online practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com.
4: Well, today we're going to be talking about the ongoing legal battle between the FBI and Apple Incorporated. They, of course, have been engaged in a battle over privacy and security. In the past, Apple has been ordered by a district court under the All ritz Act of 1789, uh, asking Apple to assist in extracting data from locked iPhones and uh, for use in criminal investigations. A legal battle has reached a boiling point when the FBI and Apple engage in dispute over whether. The federal court may compel Apple to create new software that would enable the FBI to unlock an iPhone 5C. It recovered from one of the shooters in the terrorist attack in San Bernardino, California. This data could provide the FBI, it says, with valuable information about where the shooters were after the attack
3: and the individuals they contacted. Well, Bob, in a message to customers from Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, he wrote, United States government has demanded that Apple take an unprecedented step threatens the security of our customers. We oppose this order, which has implications far beyond the legal case at hand. Mr. Cook discussed the tragedy of the San Bernardino attack, their assistance with the FBI and the FBI's use of the All Writs Act, and the threat to data security. In his closing message, Mr. Cook wrote, While we believe the FBI's intentions are good, it would be wrong for the government to force us to build a backdoor into our products. And ultimately, we fear this demand would undermine the very freedoms and liberty our government is meant to protect. The case is ever-changing. Latest news revealed yesterday that the U.S. attorney's brief to the court said on Sunday, March 20th, 2016, an outside party demonstrated to the FBI a possible method for unlocking Farouk's phone. Testing is required to determine whether it's a viable method that will not compromise data on Farouk's phone. If the method is viable... It should eliminate the need for assistance from Apple set forth in the All ritz Act order in the case.
4: So is this a threat to our data security, or will Apple's assistance to the FBI provide key information needed to prevent future terrorist attacks? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we are going to look at this uh, legal battle between the FBI and Apple, and we'll discuss the uh, San Bernardino matter, encryption, privacy, national security, and the possible future impact of this
3: case. So, Bob, we'd like to welcome our first guest today. It's David O'Brien. He's a senior researcher at the Berkman Center. He's contributed legal and policy research to a variety of Berkman Center's projects, spanning topics of privacy, cloud computing, copyright, cybersecurity, interoperability, and Internet governance. David currently leads the Berkman Center's efforts in cybersecurity and the privacy tools for sharing research data projects. David also serves on the advisory board for Harvard's Open Data Assistance Program. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, David.
0: It's a pleasure to be here.
3: Also joining us today is Robert E.
4: Katnack. Robert is a partner with the international law firm Dorsey & Whitney and a former Justice Department attorney. Bob has represented numerous clients in breach responses, developed development of privacy policies and procedures. He's provided counsel to corporate boards of directors and audit committees on matters of cybersecurity, privacy, and internal governance. Bob's long history of interaction with key government agencies began with his service with the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Division, which represents the interests of the United States and its agencies, including the CIA, FBI, Departments of State, Defense, and Energy. His longstanding relationship with those agencies enables him to engage with key players on major cyber issues and be the go-to attorney for all matters cyber. Welcome to the show, Bob Katnick. Thank you. Well, I wonder if we could just start by uh, asking, David, I, I'm not sure if you're, how familiar you are with what's just happened in, in the last day or two, or Bob, uh, if one of you could kind of bring us up to date on, on the most recent news before we dig more deeply into this case.
0: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So um, the last 24 hours have been pretty dizzying, to say the least. Uh, we found out that on Sunday, uh, March 20th, the, the FBI was contacted by an outside party who has yet to be named. And that party presented a method for obtaining access to the phone in question in this case. And uh, what happened on Monday, late afternoon, at least Eastern time, uh, the the, uh, Department of Justice and the FBI uh, filed a motion to to vacate the the hearing that was supposed to be this afternoon on on the 22nd. uh, And they also asked for a continuance to to follow up on April 5th. So during that time, they hope to Test out the method to see if it will actually work, and they want to see that it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't uh, delete any of the data that they're able to preserve it um, using the method.
3: Well, and before we go too far into the the actual topic, the obviously we've got three players in this case. We've got Apple, we've got the Department of Justice, FBI, and we have the judge. And quite interesting today in the uh, California state bars news articles. They published an article that said in Christmas of 2003, a twin-engine Cessna plane crashed into the home of then-lawyer, uh, I think she was a federal judge, at the, oh, she was at an attorney's office at the time, the U.S. Attorney's Office, Sherry Pym. So apparently a very unflappable judge because she answered all the questions for the newspaper reporters about the plane crashing into her house and was lauded for her ability to be able to handle such a situation. It's, is that the kind of judge she is in court as well?
1: Well, I, I, this is Bob Kennecht. I, I don't have not appeared before, Judge Kennecht, but I mean, this is an enormous amount of pressure to place on any judge, much less a federal magistrate judge who's sort of at the lower end of the pecking order in the federal judiciary. Very accomplished jurist, to be sure, but this is a lot of important policy questions that are you know, dumped on her lap to resolve. And then, of course, it would find its way up to the... Uh, district court itself and then the court of appeals for sure. And after that, who knows? Uh, So the the policy issues are tough ones. And the the developments of the last couple days really don't do much to resolve them. When you think about it, it sort of kicks the can down the road a bit, but all the same thorny issues that uh, this, this case raised are still going to be facing us. If not in this case, the next one.
4: I I wondered about that because I actually read uh, somebody, uh, Today, in an article, characterized this latest uh, move by the FBI as possibly a retreat in this legal battle. To my thought, I can't imagine why the FBI would necessarily want to retreat because, Bob, as, as you say, don't they, they want this issue decided at some point, don't they?
1: Well, yeah, they do. But here, I mean, I think ethically they had to tell the judge. I mean, uh, let's just imagine for a moment. It doesn't take a great deal of speculation. It's just common sense. Clearly, they had someone saying, we can do this. They had represented to the court as officers of the court. We can't do it. Nobody can do it except Apple. Well, now what do they do? I mean, one gets the sense that it, that they maybe had some I's to dot and T's to cross about the, uh, how the technology worked. But we have to believe that they vetted whoever the source was that said they can unlock it very uh, carefully, that the technology must have checked out uh, for the most part. So they were between a rock and a place. As much as they wanted a decision, they they really couldn't, in good faith, go to the judge and keep this information to themselves. So I think the procedurally, the only thing they could do would be was to, to advise the judge and say, let us get back to you on this. So was it a retreat? I, I don't know so much a retreat. I think it was clearly a blow to their position in the sense that they'd represented they couldn't be done, and now someone's saying it can be done. So... Credibility is maybe a, a strong word, but the, it is certainly testing the technical accuracy of their representations to the court.
4: Well, I wonder if we could talk about the legal issues that are are at play here a little bit more. And I, I know there are, there are several, uh, but I think one of the probably more interesting ones is this all writs Act, I guess, which uh, I suspect a lot of people really had never heard of uh, until uh, it started being talked about in this case. I, I, I understand it's been used in some other cases as well david can you can you give us any background on what this is and, and how how it comes to play in this case
0: yeah sure i'd be happy to so it's it's a very old law as i'm sure we've all heard uh, many times now in the media um, 1789 in fact it goes back quite a ways uh, in fact a little bit before the bill of rights was ratified just to give a sense of just how old it is and in, back then it was intended as a a gap filling measure and so we had all these different procedures um, for for um, doing what we now call sort of general writ activity, and it was quite uh, disparate, and the idea was it wasn't really clear what was covered and what wasn't at the time, and so the All-Writs Act was intended to fill many of the gaps between different things that courts were already authorized to do. And it's actually used quite a bit. You know, I think people have emphasized the fact that it's so old and it's antiquated and all these things. Well... I mean, one of the, the very interesting and almost elegant things about this is that it is so old and that it's still used today quite frequently. Uh, we don't typically hear about it very much because it will typically be used behind the scenes in sealed cases because uh, the, at the very heart of it, the statute enables a court to compel a third party who has some sort of interest in a case uh, to do something to assist in some matter uh, in some manner, and... In this case, uh, it's the Department of Justice and the FBI asking Apple to assist with removing some of the security features on the phone. Um, there isn't a lot of law in this area, also, and that that sort of underscores this point that we we don't hear about it very often. Um, it's often, you know, something that happens at the very lowest levels of the court, often with magistrates that who receive these applications on behalf of the government to compel these third parties. Um, there have been a few cases over time. and Back in the 1970s, there's now a very well-known uh, Supreme Court case involving the New York Telephone Company, and they contested uh, the the scope of the all Ritz Act in, in an application. And the case made its way up to the Supreme Court. And what we have out of that is a three-pronged test, which helps the court determine when they apply it to the facts in a particular case, uh, whether whether the application of the writ and compelling a, a third party to do a particular act is unreasonable or not.
3: And really, what is the, the technological issue that's here? Is, it that the, is this a one-time, can't you just unlock the single phone? Or would, realistically, the, Apple be required to write some type of a code that they give to the FBI? I mean, why couldn't the FBI hand the phone over to Apple? They write the code, unlock the phone, and hand it back so the FBI never learns the code.
0: That's actually that's very close to what they had asked the court to compel Apple to do, as a matter of fact. Um, there's been this long debate here in the United States. Uh, it goes back decades, but in recent memory, the last two years, we've seen the director of the FBI, James Comey, uh, talking a lot about what he sees as an alarming trend. He calls it going dark, that companies are implementing easy-to-use encryption, and they're doing so in a way where it puts communications and data out of the reach of the government, even when they would otherwise have lawful, the lawful, um, lawful authority to access the data. Um, so in this case, uh, what they've asked Apple to do is not to decrypt the contents of the phone, which has also been a very controversial point over the arc of what I like to call the crypto wars, uh, but instead they've asked Apple to remove several critical security features on the phone, uh, one of which is uh, this auto-erase feature, which if you fail to enter the passcode correctly after 10 tries, the contents of the phone are automatically deleted. Another one of these features is a, uh, a delay in between each, uh, each consecutive entry of a passcode, so each attempt when you try to put in the passcode of the phone, uh, there's a delay that the phone uh, will, will, uh, will only allow you to enter so many within so long a period of time. Uh, And so it makes it very difficult to brute force into the phone, in other words, to try every possible combination. And so what what has been requested of uh, Apple here is to write some software which would remove these security features on the phone and enable the FBI to try all the password combinations possible, which would then lead to the phone being unlocked. The contents of the phone would then be decrypted, and then they'd be able to read uh, the data on the phone.
3: And and what right of privacy does Farouk have? I mean, he's dead, so doesn't that right of privacy die with him?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's even a little bit more than that because it wasn't even his phone; uh, it was the county's phone, and they've already said they wouldn't object to Apple uh, doing whatever it takes to uh, allow the FBI to access its comments uh, content. Sorry. So you, you you have this odd situation in that sense, uh, and you know as as Dave has just said, this is a this is a, a, a measured step that the FBI has asked for. Just just help us with the auto wipe feature. But I think we all recognize that what's at, what's at stake here is not this phone uh, or this particular set of contents. It's what's the precedent that's going to be set. And that was, I think, how the issue was was interestingly framed. On the one hand, by the by, Apple saying, "Wait a minute, this is the slippery slope." And the FBI is saying, "Oh no, we just want this one assistance." Even though, as it's now come to light, they've made this request in similar fashion on um, other occasions as well. So, I think it's it's unavoidable uh, to engage on the fundamental policy questions that are on both sides of this dispute and they're not easy ones.
4: We need to take a short break for a word from our sponsors. We will be back in just a few moments. Please stay with us.
2: Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now how long does it take to move to the cloud and is it a difficult process?
3: No, with most cloud computing providers moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Craig Williams. And with us today is David O'Brien and Bob Kadnack, along with my co-host, Bob Ambrosie. In our last segment, we were discussing the FBI and Apple legal battle and the issues of privacy and the kind of thorny issues that surround this case. Robert, what type of uh, resolution... Are you predicting the court's going to reach when and if they finally get this issue in front?
1: Predicting the futures of risky business. But I, I, I think there's a very good chance that this, this fight is going to go away. The, the FBI's got a little bit of egg on its face. You know, they made representations that I'm sure in good faith that now turn out to be not quite true. And uh, I, I think it would be extremely unlikely. This case is let's say this case is over, but there pending
4: the Boston Globe uh, up where I am recently had a story that there's there's a suggesting that there's a case in Boston that may raise this issue. I, I think it's not clear and, and there's a case um, also in. Uh, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, I believe, that, that involves this all Ritz Act and a similar request. Right. Uh, so, I mean, as you say, I mean, I think uh, FBI Director Comey originally tried to characterize this as a one-shot deal or a one-time deal. Uh, and I think he later backtracked on, on that position because, as you say, this... This is a slippery
3: slope. So ultimately, where do we go? I mean, what's going to be the decision? Because this issue has to get solved at some point in time. So, David, what are you predicting?
0: It's a great question. So, you know, I, I think Robert's right that, you know, this, this particular case is going to go away. Uh, the all Writs Act is kind of a special beast because the way that it's applied is on a case-by-case basis, although certainly you can set a precedent and other courts might follow that precedent, um, it, it's possible that we could have a difference in opinion. So you mentioned the Brooklyn case, right, in the Eastern District of New York. Uh, in that case, we had the magistrate judge issue a 50-page opinion. That is so unusual, by the way, for a magistrate judge to do. Uh, and it, it came out in favor of Apple. Now, it involves a slightly different uh, version of both the hardware and the software uh, at issue in the case. And that's been part of the story is that successively, Uh, Apple has been increasing the amount of both encryption and security and the security features on the phone uh, over the last several years. And we're starting to now reach a point where um, there are rumors reported by The New York Times that Apple is working on a version of the phone that's going to be impervious to these types of requests under the all Writs Act. I mean, one way of thinking about what the FBI and the Department of Justice were able to request in this case is that it's something of a security vulnerability, the fact that you can update the phone in this way, alter the operating system to remove some of the security features, that's basically a bug that Apple is going to patch. Uh, so I, I absolutely agree with Robert. You know, this this case, this particular fight in uh, in the San Bernardino case will likely go away. There are no question there are others. Uh, Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan district attorney, is um, quite vocal about the 175 um, bricked phones, essentially, that he has on his desk that do nothing more than they serve as paperweights, I imagine, right? Because they can't access the contents of those phones. And he'd love to see a way under state law to access uh, access the data on phones. Uh, so that we've got both competing federal and state issues. In my mind, the ultimate question is, who's going to resolve it? Who's the, where's the right place for this to be resolved? So this is, in a way, is like the second or third avenue that we've seen in the debate, um, The first was when the FBI was testifying both before Congress and in some of the briefings that is provided in the executive branch of the government, um, asking for solutions as far back as 2010. Uh, They have not been successful, and of course they haven't explicitly asked for some sort of legislative solution, but clearly the the debate has been such that they're trying to raise awareness of what they see as a big problem. Uh, Now here we are, this is like the third avenue, if you take those first two to be other avenues, the third avenue is to ask a court to interpret existing law in a way that's favorable um, to the outcome of the case, and uh, I don't know that it does them any favors that that uh, the case is coming to something of a re- resolution. Maybe not. We'll see in early April. Um, but you know, if this case goes away, I mean, for them, this case had really strong facts, and if if the if the court were to be swayed, it seems like it would be on these types of facts where you have an instance of domestic terrorism. The, the perpetrators involved in the case are deceased. Their privacy interests have died of them. The city of San Bernardino actually owns the phone and has authorized uh, the the government to gain access to the content, contents of it and so on. And so uh, it's it's hard to imagine that if another case came up that it would have these types of facts. Uh, but surely there's going to be other cases pending before courts. Maybe this goes to Congress. Maybe they come out with some sort of legislative solution. Just yesterday there was another announcement of of an encryption working group with the House Judiciary Committee and the Commerce Committee. Um, And there are many others within Congress who have vested interests in in where this goes in terms of legislation. Uh, So all questions at this point, but we're likely to see some action. Um, It's just not really clear what, what the ultimate thing is that comes out, whether it's a legislative resolution or something else.
4: Well, there's another question here, another legal question that we haven't talked about, which is the uh, First Amendment issue. Uh, Some of the amicus, and I think uh, I know the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I think Apple itself has raised this uh, argument that uh, code is speech, uh, and that if it's being forced to write code uh, for something it doesn't agree with, it's essentially, there's essentially a First Amendment violation here. Uh, Bob, what do you make of that argument?
1: yeah it's it's an intellectually interesting argument um i, I think it's it's a, it's a tough one to to base uh a a very important precedent on it's it's not well developed in the law sort of compelled speech um just very briefly if i could I, and i think uh dave did a very nice job of sort of setting the table on what we might expect there is one other option that it, i wish that we could we could uh, have resolved in that fashion, which is this: uh, th- that the FBI and and law enforcement could sit down with with Apple and say, "Let's figure out some resolution." Because courts are very poorly equipped to make these kinds of broad policy uh, judgments and and balances. Unfortunately, the Congress has shown not a great deal of uh, ability to wrestle with such tough issues. So where, where do we where do we get this uh, uh, some some reasonable resolution? And uh, I think the most likely chance, even though it's not particularly imminent right now, is the possibility that somehow the tech companies can sit down with law enforcement and say, how do we how do we avoid these kinds of situations coming up in the future?
3: Well, let's take a step back from the the present issue and maybe make some gross generalization that it really is an issue basically between the government's right to surveil its citizens and its citizens' rights to their own privacy. When you think about it on that level, what are the policy arguments in favor of either side? David, do you have some thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, and actually, I I would tweak your framing a little bit. Certainly, privacy is a core interest in the overarching debate, and this case, it's really more about security than privacy since the privacy interests have more or less gone with the person who uh who who possessed the phone, the, the perpetrator. Um and I, I think it's it really is about both though. I mean security and privacy. Security is a means to afford people privacy. Uh it, it's actually quite refreshing, I think, to have companies uh who are speaking out in a way that puts consumers' interests first uh, in terms of security issues. Just think of, like, the relentless pace of uh, news that we hear about data breaches and about it affects the government, it affects uh, consumer retail stores, it affects Internet websites, it affects huge companies like Sony. And so many people are having difficulties with vulnerabilities in code and keeping data secure. And so it's somewhat refreshing to hear a, a company speak out, you know, quite strongly about how they feel it's more in, in the interest of the public to have secure software than it is to balance that equation uh, on the face in favor of national security interests. But that's the other part of it, of course, is national security interests. We could have very secure devices. We're going to lose something in the process. It's not really clear. I mean, these, these, are, uh, these are almost orthogonal issues in a way. How do, how do we balance your garden variety cybersecurity issue of how your data stays safe? Uh, as it's in transit and at rest on the phone with how do we defend the nation against the types of attacks that we're likely to see in the future.
4: It, it, does all of this become a moot question if, in fact, if the government has figured out a way to get into the phone without Apple's uh, cooperation?
1: Possibly. Um, sure, I think for this case, it is moot, but it's- Go ahead, please. No, no, go ahead, please, Robert. I
4: don't mean just in this case. I mean as as an issue going forward. I, I mean, what happens?
1: Well, courts don't like to decide issues in a vacuum uh, and that don't need decision. If if the if the phone is accessed, then the case just goes away. The the I cannot imagine a magistrate judge venturing out with an opinion that's sort of a a, a declaratory uh, assessment of how one might rule under other circumstances. Now that this case has gone away sort of an advisory opinion. Uh, so I, I, we could be surprised, but I would be very surprised if this case had any legs left to it. So then I think the, 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 sh- the shift will occur. You've got, the as you mentioned, the, the case in Brooklyn where the magistrate judge has, and I agree with David, really thorough opinion, very well-reasoned, very thoughtful. People can agree or disagree about the conclusion, but but you can't fault the, the thought that went into it. So that that opinion certain to be appealed and has, I'm sure, gone up to the district court itself. And then I I would be fairly certain that it would go up to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. So that will wind its way through. And as Dave mentioned, not nearly as compelling a case as what we had in San Bernardino. So I I think that's one of the reasons why the FBI shifted its focus to San Bernardino. Uh, so you know, maybe the technology that uh, they've now acquired apparently can work on that phone as well. Who knows? But again, we're we're just we're just delaying for another day the the very challenging question of how do you balance these two competing
4: interests. Bob, you're you're a former DOJ attorney. Would you be advising your client the same way uh, Apple's attorneys are advising their client? Or would you be advising it to cooperate more closely with the FBI?
1: Oh, Apple's – no, I I think Apple had to make a stand. You know, there there are times when you you don't mind losing, uh, but you'd rather have a court say you lose, help them out, than to have to – especially after the case was daylighted – to have to reverse your position, very publicly taken, we protect our customers' privacy. We have all these features that Tim Cook could not reverse that decision uh, publicly. He, he, I think, you know, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy if the court had told him to cooperate and there would have been other issues. But if you just kind of look at the dynamics of those decision-making processes, you'd rather have a judge tell you to do something that you don't want to do than, than swallow hard and do it without being told.
3: Well, gentlemen, it looks like we have just about reached the end of our program, and at this point in time, we'd like to invite both of our guests to share their final thoughts and their contact information. So, David, let's start with you.
0: Sure. Well, I think this is a fascinating case to watch from the sidelines, and it's really been an interesting you know, set of arguments and, and debates that have been presented around the issues uh, we do have to keep our eye on this overarching debate because it's, you know, this is obviously not the first time we've, we've had this conversation about the public's ability to use encryption. And I imagine that we're going to, it's a conversation we'll continue to have long in the future. Uh, what I would what I would posit, I suppose, to your audience is that, um, you know, advocates of, of Apple's side in this case have suggested that uh, we ought to come out in favor of security. And the reason I think that is is because there are some risks on the horizons that we may not really have a good handle on just yet and perhaps we don't want to tip the scales too far in favor of national security when we also have to worry about our own security interests as consumers in the case and perhaps that means that the as we we put things to the equation and try to weigh out the different issues that would come out mostly in favor of security. Uh, But I would suggest, actually, it's going to be too hard to do that. Those are issues that are so difficult to quantify. Um, Maybe Congress can make some headway on this, but I imagine we're going to be debating the issue for a long time. Uh, In terms of uh, contact um, information, people will be free to send me an email. My email address is on our website at cyber.law.harvard.edu. Uh you can also, also reach me on Twitter at D underscore O'Brien. That's O-B-R-I-E-N. And uh look forward to continuing the conversation.
3: Great. Thank you very much, David. Robert, your final thoughts and contact information? Sure. Uh I, I we've
1: we've hardly heard the last of this yet. I mean the technology is evolving rapidly. We are in a cyber arms race between the you know, the people that want to get in and the people want to keep it keep it out. And uh I think that will continue to escalate as the technology evolves, and I think all one can intelligently say is stay tuned. Uh, These are difficult issues. I agree with what Dave said earlier. It's a healthy thing for a democracy to have an open and robust debate about them. Uh, Maybe there isn't a clear winner or loser, but uh, I think it's good to have the conversation engaged. As far as contact information goes, uh, probably the best way would be to email me at katanach, C-A-T-T-A-N-A-C-H, Robert at Dorsey d o r s e y dot com. Thank you very much for having me.
4: Well, thank you very much. We've been we've been talking with David O'Brien of the Berkman Center and Robert Katnack of Dorsey and Whitney about the Apple versus FBI case. Thanks to each of you for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure,
3: indeed. Great, indeed. and Bob, that brings us to the end of our show. I'm Craig Williams with Bob Ambrosi for Lawyer to Lawyer. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer.
2: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes.